We're in a series right now just simply titled Friends. Last week we talked about the necessity, the value of having real friends. When we have real friends, we are stronger, we're more productive, we're more successful. And there's a need inside of every one of us for real friends. Someone that we can share our joys and share our sorrows with. You know, it's scriptural. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 15 to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Heard a story about one pastor. He woke up on one beautiful sunny Sunday morning and he just decided that he had to go play golf. I'm not a golfer, so I can tell this story, by the way. He pretends to be sick and he calls his associate pastor and asks him to preach for him that day and Then he heads out of town, he goes to a golf course in another city about 50 miles away so that, you know, he wouldn't run into anybody from church. And on the first tee, he sees that he's got the whole course to himself. Everybody else is at church. And watching from heaven, St. Peter says to the Lord, he says, are you going to let him get away with this? And about that time, the pastor hits his first ball, and it goes straight down the course, and it just keeps going and going, and then it lands, and it rolls, and it rolls, and it drops into the cup, a 320-yard hole-in-one. St. Peter says, I can't believe you let him do this. And the Lord says, who's he going to tell? <laughs> Here's the thing. Even our victories are just empty if we can't share them with somebody. Oh, how heavy our burdens are when we have nobody to help. You see, God has designed us this way where we need real friends. We need to pursue real friendships with the right people. Now, we live in this busy, crowded society where even though it's crowded, loneliness has become epidemic. In fact, Mother Teresa said that loneliness is the leprosy of modern society and no one wants anybody to know that they're a leper. Why is it that so many people in our culture are lacking in meaningful relationships and oftentimes even in the church? You know, our modern culture just doesn't promote close friendships. We're busy. We don't have a lot of time. We're constantly allowing urgent things to crowd out the important things, and they're not always the same thing. You see, relationships are really important in our life, and yet a lot of time they get crowded out by our schedule, our routine, our habits. We just don't have time to engage with real friends. We So much of the time we have this surface small talk where we talk about the weather, we talk about sports, maybe even, for better or worse, we talk about politics. But to really talk about the things that are going on in our life and to really delve into the the struggles and the issues that we're dealing with, a lot of the time we just don't ever get there. We live in this kind of microwave society, and you can't microwave friendships. They take time. You have to, well, let me put it this way. You can't can't have a meaningful relationship in a hurry. It it just takes time. You, You can't rejoice with somebody in a hurry. You can't mourn with somebody in a hurry. It takes time. 
We need to understand that these meaningful relationships in the body of Christ are so important to our spiritual life. It seems like one of the reasons that we struggle with these meaningful relationships is that it can be risky. I mean, it's risky to open up and be real with other people and to share what's really going on in your life, what your struggles are, and especially in the body of Christ sometimes. We don't want our fellow believers to know that we're going through a difficult time sometimes. And so we pretend. You know, we like to pretend everything's great, but when, when I say pretend, I always think of little kids who pretend. You know, they pretend they're a superhero. We know that they're not a superhero, right? They're pretending. Isn't that cute? It's not really cute when adults pretend. We're pretending everything's great. I got to tell you, everybody else knows that you're pretending. Okay, we need to be real. We need to have some close friends. I'm not talking about airing out your dirty laundry to everybody. I'm talking about that we all need to have some real friends that we can be real with. If you're not real, you are fake, phony, a few other adjectives people might throw in there, but I'm just, none of it's good. We want to be real. We can't play games. We can't hide behind some phony face and act like everything's great. We need to have some people in our life that we're close enough to that we can share our heart with. Last week, I mentioned this several times, but I want to focus today on the right kind of friends. We do better with the right kinds of friends. See, friends are like elevators. They can either take you up or they can take you down, depending on the kind of friends that you have. But the Bible says this in Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The righteous, those that are born again, washed in the blood of Jesus, you've been made righteous. See, those that believe, those that are serving God, you are the righteous that he's talking about here. And he says that we are to choose our friends carefully, not haphazardly, not by accident or default, but carefully we choose our friends. And he says this, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, who are the wicked? I think sometimes in our culture, when we use the word wicked, we're talking about the worst of the worst, some mass murderer, some horrible, horrible person. But in the scripture, the wicked are the ungodly. They are those who reject God, those that refuse to obey the commands. Those are the wicked. And he says this, he says, the wicked lead them astray. Choose your friends carefully. I think most of the time, most people don't really intentionally choose their friends. They just kind of end up with some. 
And you know what? That's certainly true and I think okay to a degree when you're talking about casual friends that you meet at the workplace or you meet at school or maybe, you know, you meet on a ball team or some other activity and you, you certainly you're friendly and you want to make friends. You got casual friends. But our close friends, those need to be people that are serving God and living for God. You don't make an ungodly person, and I'm just going to go ahead and throw this in the mix, a backslidden, lukewarm believer, your close friend. You need some people that will lead you in the right direction because here's what it says, and it doesn't matter really, see, whether we think it's right or not. Well, it does. The Word of God is true whether you think it's right or not. And this is what it says, is that they lead them astray. You see, there's a lot of people that like to act like they are an exception. I call it the exception deception. Because it happens so often that for some reason or another, people think they are an exception to the Word of God. It doesn't really, you know, that's for others, I see that, but not me. That doesn't apply to me because, you know, yes, I know. It's being deceived. we got to choose our close friends carefully. See, choosing friends is like you come to a fork in the road. If you go this way, it's going to take you to this destination. If you go this way, it's going to take you somewhere totally different. And friends are kind of like that. Some friends will lead you closer to God, and some friends will lead you away from God. you got to choose your friends carefully. The right friends will influence you to serve God. Matters who your friends are. The lifestyle of those who don't serve God will influence you in the wrong direction. How many of you parents think that it's important who your kids' close friends are? Raise your hand. That's pretty much just about everybody that's a parent saying, just saying. We all know that. We all understand that. Even worldly people understand that principle. But here's the thing. This scripture doesn't say, you teenagers. No, it's talking to all of us. Because here is the exception, deception here. I'm a grown-up. I'm not subject to peer pressure. Or... I'm a mature believer. I can be around whoever. They don't affect me. I want to tell you, it is important who your close friends are, who you're doing life with, and it is a deception to think that you don't have to obey the Word of God. Choose your friends carefully. See, we we know how important this is for young people. I mean, some parents even decide what area they're going to live in depending on the school district. Some parents decide that, you know, to keep their children from ungodly influences, they're going to homeschool. We understand that when it comes to children. But then when it comes to our lives, a lot of the time, we create this exception. I'm going to read it again, Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. The wrong friends can get you in all kinds of trouble. 
But there is this deception that you are an exception. How prideful to think that somehow we are above God's Word. Pride, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In the New Testament it says, If any man thinks he stands, let he take heed, lest he fall. I'm just telling you this principle in the Word of God, that when we think we're above, when we think that can't happen to me because I'm... You're a setup for a fall. James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You see, anytime we hear the word and yet we don't do it, we're deceived ourselves. It's, it's bad enough when somebody else fools you. But when you're fooling yourself, and a lot of people do it all the time, they think they're an exception to the word of God. Here's what the Word of God says, and this is spiritual truth, and no one is an exception. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. There's that warning, don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. The NIV says bad company corrupts good character. Another translation says good morals. See, some of us who are strong, we think it doesn't matter who we hang out with, but that's pride. Now, here's part of the issue here. If somebody were, if, you know, if you're a strong believer, I'm talking about strong believers, all right, people of conviction. If you're a strong believer and somebody comes up to you and you're hanging out with somebody and all of a sudden they try to get you to do something that you blatantly know is sin, you'll just say, no, I'm strong. Now, weak people might go along, but I'm saying strong believers just say, no. But so often, the way Satan works is he uses those kinds of influences slowly, over time. You're hanging out with these people, you're with them, spending time with them, they are leading you astray. It's just a little bit of a shift here and there, and over time, you change the way you think about certain things because of the influence of that friendship. And it's so obvious when you look at our culture, who people listen to forms and shapes their opinions, their attitudes, and eventually even their conduct and lifestyle. Satan uses this deception all the time to slowly try to move people away from the truth. You know, they say if you want to boil a frog, I don't know if you ever boil a frog, but... I've had them fried. I don't think I've had them boiled, but if you want to boil a frog, you can't just drop them into boiling water because they'll just jump right out as soon as they hit the water. So if you want to boil a frog, you put them in a pan in room temperature water and you set it on the stove and you heat it up slowly and the water will get hot and they will boil and die without ever really, really realizing what's going on. And that's the way it is for a lot of people. It is a slow process of changing the way they think and just moving them a little bit, a little bit more, a little bit more away from having a heart on fire for God and really living for God. See, the devil uses that principle all the time. 
group of people at work. They say, hey, we're, we're all going to go to a Dallas Stars game. And so you go along with them to the Dallas Stars game, and they're all drinking and cussing and all kinds of inappropriate comments and behavior, and you say, hey, it doesn't affect me. But here's the thing. If you keep going with them again and again and again, I can tell you it will affect you in some way. And it, you, you, know, you may not start drinking, you may not start doing some terrible, but it's going to affect your attitudes about things if you hang out with those people all the time. Let's flip, the, let's flip the roles here. Let's say your small group is meeting and you invite a friend from work. You say, hey, my small group at church, we're going to a Dallas Stars game. You want to go with us? And they go with your small group to the game. And they're talking about church and how great our church is and how much fun we have and how awesome it, our worship here is at the church and you know the preacher's okay and you, they just keep t- going on and on and, you know and talking about the Lord all the time and you know what happens if they keep coming to the Dallas Stars games with you they're going to show up one day right. they're going to start wondering wow what is this you see this principle works for good or for bad And I'm just telling you that the people that you hang out with on a regular basis, your close friends, you need to choose those people, the Bible says, carefully. The right friends are spiritual friends. That means that they love God. That means they are true followers of Jesus. That they want to get closer to God. They want to know Him more. They want to live for Him They love him with all their heart. Now, it doesn't really matter if they are a new convert or if they've been serving the Lord for 40 years. It's not a matter of are they super spiritual or super mature, but are they going the same direction? You know, are they, are they, do they have a desire to get closer to God? Do they really love the Lord? Are they sincere in their faith? And I just want to kind of give you a personal testimony here that I've had lots of casual friends. But my best friends, ever since I became a real Christian, have always been spiritual people. Sometimes they weren't anywhere near my age. Sometimes... We didn't share any other common interest. But they loved the Lord. We worked and served together in ministry and the things of God. And they were my best friends because of that spiritual relationship. You see, we get so caught up in carnal things. We need to realize this is really the most important thing. Most important thing in a friend is that it's a spiritual friend the people that you're going to really be close to and do life with. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to look at 14 through 18. And this is one of those times where I just have to preach Scripture that never gets preached. But oh, how it needs to be. And you're going to hear some things this morning that may rock your world and go against what you have thought and what you have believed in the past. But if it's the Word of God, then I challenge you in Jesus' name to hear it and apply it in your life. Here's what it says. 
Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And one of the things that I get sometimes more and more in the last few years when I'm talking with people about the Scripture, they, they will say, well, it doesn't mean that. And you say, well, it means this. No, it doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. And then you say, but okay, what does it mean? Well, I don't know, but it doesn't mean that. And the point is, they just can't accept what it means. Don't be unequally yoked together with with unbelievers. What does that mean? I don't know, but it doesn't mean that. I'm going to tell you, it's talking about it. You're not to be connected with an unbeliever in any close relationship. Now, if you are married to an unbeliever, then scripturally, you need to stay married to that unbeliever and get them saved. But if you're not married, you don't go out and get yoked together with an unbeliever. And it does mean that. And it does mean that if you're in business, you don't hook up and become partners with an ungodly person in business. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You're not an exception. That is a deception. You need to be connected with people who love God. You don't date unbelievers. That is foolish. You don't make your close friends unbelievers. That is foolish. What's more, you know what? I'm just going to go here. If if you're that way, if you make them, how, how can you say that Jesus is truly your first love and you're on fire for God. Because you look at the rest of what this passage says. He says, what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? You're walking in the light. What fellowship, you know, how how do you even really relate on a close level with somebody who, who doesn't believe in God? With somebody who just rejects the Lord and wants nothing to do with the things of God? What accord has Christ with a false god, with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? What do you have in common with somebody that doesn't love the Lord like you do? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Now, I'm going to explain that a little bit in just a minute. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Do we believe these verses of Scripture? These verses of Scripture were inspired by the Holy Spirit and written down by the Apostle Paul, that preacher of grace. And he says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. I want to tell you, God has called us out of this world. He's called us to separate ourselves and not touch ungodly, unclean things. Now, that does not mean in any way that we're supposed to, you know, go join a monastery or, or, you know, become part of some compound. No, we're in this world to reach this world. 
We're in this world to take the gospel to the world. We're not hiding out somewhere. We're going to live right in the midst, right in the thick of it in this world and take the gospel to them. That's what our Savior did, and that's what we're supposed to do. We can't reach the lost if none of us have relationships with the lost. No, we're supposed to reach people, but we need to be very wise about this, that our close friends and companions are people that love God and are on fire for God. We're not unequally yoked together. Now, I want to say it again. We need to have relationships with the lost, but we don't make them our close friends. That doesn't even make sense. You know, Satan so often uses the Word of God to try to deceive believers. He even tried it with Jesus. He quoted from Psalm 91 to Jesus to try to deceive him. But he pulls it out of context or he twists it just a little to deceive. Anybody ever heard the phrase, Jesus was the friend of sinners? Okay, if you've been in this church very long, you've heard it because I have used that phrase before to make a point. But I want you to understand that Satan has used that to deceive a lot of people about who their friends should be. Jesus was the friend of of sinners. Well, here's where that's taken from. It's Matthew 11, 18, and 19. This is Jesus speaking. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber. The NIV says drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. I hope that nobody thinks that Jesus was a glutton and a drunkard. But people wholeheartedly accept the accusation that Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And listen to me, Jesus absolutely was with tax collectors and sinners. He ministered to them all the time. And on some level, you could certainly say that Jesus was a friend to them. He cared about them and he was there to minister to them, to help them. But Jesus would never have chosen those people to be his friends. Y'all, real quiet. I'm going to show it to you in the Word of God. I know I'm going against the popular teaching and attitude. Jesus would never have chosen those people to be his friends, his close companions, the people he shared his heart with. It's John 14, excuse me, John 15, verse 14 and 15. He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. There's the truth. You want to be Jesus' friend? He says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Jesus was not going to have his close friends as people who disobeyed God. 
He goes on. We read this one last week. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all the things that I've heard from my father I've made known to you. You see, who was Jesus going to pour his heart out to? Who was he going to share his heart with? Those that obeyed the word of God. Those that were sincere in living for God and obeying the scripture. And I'm telling you that yes, we need to minister to the lost more than we do. We're not doing it enough. We need to be involved. We need to go to where they are and try to reach them and try to help them. And in some sense, yes, be a friend to them. But you need to realize that for you personally, they can't be your best friend. You need close friends in the body of Christ who share the same goals and the same heart that want to live for God. You need spiritual friends. It is such a lie and such a deception of the devil to get people to go against the Word of God that says to choose your friends carefully. It's a great story in Luke chapter 19 about reaching the lost. Our Savior came to seek and to save that which was lost and It's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was known to be a sinner. He was not a good guy. He took advantage and tried to cheat people. He must have had some kind of a hunger for something more because when he heard that Jesus was passing by, he was a short man, and he climbed up into a tree just so he could see Jesus. We're going to pick the story up there in Luke 19, verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Sometimes we need to spend some time We need to go to where lost people are. We need to be willing maybe to have dinner with a lost person. But I do want to make the point today that Jesus didn't go to everybody's house. He picks this guy out. He says, today I'm coming to your house. I believe that Jesus was led of the Spirit. We need to be led of the Spirit. We need to be wise as serpents, the Bible says. We need to be aware of the... the, temptations and the struggles and the spiritual battles that are taking place. And yes, be led of the Spirit when you're ministering to the lost. Jesus didn't view Zacchaeus just as a new friend. Hey, bud, let's go. No, Jesus had something greater in mind. And we need to have something greater in mind when we are encountering lost people. Verse 8, this is what happens. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. Wow. You know that somebody really got saved when their pocketbook gets saved like that. I give half my goods to the poor. 
And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Yes, that's what God wants to do. We need to reach out to the lost. But when Jesus ate with sinners, he ministered. He set the tone, the environment, the atmosphere. He wasn't being affected by them. He was affecting them. He was impacting their life. And I can assure you that Jesus was never just one of the guys hanging out, laughing at the dirty jokes, gawking at the girls, having a few beers with the guys. That was not the way it was. Jesus was there to minister to them and to reach them. And we need to realize, yes, we got to go. Yes, we've got to reach out. But don't fall into the deception that it's okay to have ungodly friends, not close friends. The right friends are sincere about obeying God's Word. You'll notice, nowhere in here do I say just blanket church people. Because some church people are not really living for God. You need to choose friends who are sincere and wanting to obey the Word of God. That doesn't mean they're perfect. We've all got problems. We've all got issues. But they're sincere in their desire to love God and to obey the Word of God. Let me give you a few examples this morning how believers are influenced by their friends and it brings trouble. You know, I don't think there's anything more important than the home front, so I'm just going to jump in this morning. Some of you need to pray for me. <laughs> Ephesians 5, through 24, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands, in everything. This teaching has become so unpopular and is so against the grain of our culture that many, many preachers today have figured out a way to finagle around this passage of Scripture and we just disregard it. And I can't do that because it is straight from the Bible. I realize that it has been abused, and for probably centuries it was abused, this principle. But this is truth. And I think some men have used this passage to try to make their wife into some kind of slave or servant and they tell their wife to submit and I got to say to you in 40 years of marriage coming up on 40 I have never told my wife to submit I have never tried to get her to submit that's between her and God that's not my place but here's the thing it is spiritual truth and so ladies if you're hanging out with some friends and they're all the time ridiculing their husband and putting their husband down and they're talking about how, you know, I'm not going to do what he says and I don't have to listen to him and I'm going to do what I want. In fact, I'm going to tell him what he... 
and you hang out with that stuff all the time, and if you were to tell them that, you know, that you respect your husband and you honor your husband and you allow your husband to be the head of your home and they make fun of you, you need to be careful because they are having an influence on you over time. If you listen to that garbage all the time, it will affect the way that you think about your husband. Now here's what our place is, guys. And see, I don't consider this to be easier. In fact, I consider this to be even a step further. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. If you're going to love your wife like Christ loves the church, that's a really tall order. And he says, and gave himself for her. And this is the way that's supposed to work. That means that you lay down your life and your will and what you want for your wife. You're out on the golf course, picking on the golfers today. I love you, Jimmy. <laughs> You're out on the golf course, and you and the guys finish around to golf, and they say, hey, let's play another round. And you say, okay, well, I got to call my wife. I want to check with her. And they start laughing, and they start saying, you got to call your mommy. I'm a grown man. I do what I want. And you're hanging out with all that garbage. Down the road, you start having some troubles in your marriage. Yeah, I don't have to call my wife. I don't care what she thinks. I'm a grown man. I do whatever I want. No Christian should ever say the words, I do whatever I want. We do what our Lord wants. Okay, young people, I'm going to let y'all get her out of this deal. <laughs> if your friends are always sneaking around behind their parents' back, act like their parents are stupid, they say things like, it's none of their business who my friends are or who I want to date. I want to tell you, if you hang around those people long enough, they're going to influence you, and it's not going to go well for you. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 6, 2 and 3, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. You ought to listen to your parents, I think especially in regard to who you hang out with and who you date. There is nobody that cares more about you and that things go well for you than your parents. They have your best interest at heart. Every parent wants their child to be happy and avoid heartache and trouble. Am I right, parents? Yes. You see, it is such a deception that Satan has propagated on a generation That's right. to bring heartache and trouble and destroy young people. I didn't learn to honor my parents, really, until I was 18. After I'd gotten saved, filled with the Spirit, called into ministry, I learned that I was supposed to honor my parents. And I started doing that to the best of my ability. When I was 21 years old, 21... I was a youth pastor, 21 years old. 
I was dating a girl and she told me that it was God's will for us to get married. I never had a peace about that at all. and I felt like I needed to break it off, but I was having a really hard time, mainly because I didn't want to hurt this girl. And I went to my dad. My dad was not quick to give advice, but I kind of pulled in pride and I, I said, Dad, I want to know what you think about this situation. He said, I think you need to break up with her. It was really hard for me to do, but I did it. About three months later, I met Carmen. And we're coming up on 40. In fact, that was over 40 years ago when we met. <laughs> I'm so glad I listened to my dad. I was 21 years old. Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, that was back in the old days. Listen. That was in 1981. We were the children of the 60s and 70s. People want to act like things are so wild now. Well, we were pretty wild then. Just saying. So I call Carmen, and I asked her out. She's 21. She says, well, hang on a minute. I'm going to go ask my dad. Now, some people think that's silly. Well, you ask your 15-year-old friend for advice. That's silly. My dad was one of my, became one of my best friends. He was my best man at my wedding. But I'm just saying, what I really want to get at here is this passage from Ephesians. This is just one example, just one passage from the Bible. And here are three strong principles that most Christians just ignore. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about money. You, you talk to unbelievers or lukewarm believers about obeying God in your giving, and they will ridicule you and make fun of you, say, I'm not giving my money to those people. Well, they're, you know, they're preachers. They're all just getting rich off my money. I ain't giving my money to them. I'm going to do what I want with my money. It's my money. And you listen to that garbage, and over time it will affect you. And it doesn't matter what area of life you're talking about. Talking about how to treat people. Talking about how you're supposed to live. Talking about anger. Whatever other subject. And they start. You need friends that to the best of their ability want to live by the Word of God. The, the right friends will bring out the best in you. They'll help you fulfill your God-given destiny. As iron sharpens iron, it's Proverbs 27 and 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. We need people that help us learn, help us grow, that make us better. I heard that Ben Franklin formed a support group and called it My Most Ingenious Friends. That group got together and they would write papers and discuss them and discuss questions and then help each other with their careers and goals. They met for 40 years. Ben Franklin was still accomplishing things in his 80s and 90s. Why? Because he had a support group that kept him learning and growing. Thomas Edison had a support group called My Mastermind Alliance. You know, kind of rule the world kind of sounding thing. I don't know. These guys weren't very hip and cool with their names, were they? But anyway, he, he put together a group of people with similar life mission and in a six-year period, they came up with 300 patented inventions. 
I'm just telling you, it's important who you hang out with. Let me give another example for the young people. Sit on the back row of the class with the troublemakers, and I'm telling you, it will influence you and your grades. Sit with the kids that make straight A's, and even if you're a C student, it will have an impact on you. I'm telling the truth. See, you need real friends, the right friends. The right friends bring out the best in you. And I'm talk, I was talking about some maybe worldly things. You can consider it that way. But how much more true is it when it comes to spiritual things? We need people that bring out the best in us, that help us fulfill God's purpose in our life, that don't sidetrack us or pull us down. The right friends will tell you the truth. I hope you think I'm a friend this morning. Amen. Ephesians 4.15 says that we're to speak the truth in love. A real friend will tell you the truth, and sometimes it may upset you because it may not be what you want to hear, but a real friend will have your best interest at heart. They won't just watch you go the wrong way and say nothing. Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. The kisses of an enemy are deceitful, like Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss. Some people might be nice to you, but they're not really for you. They have an ulterior motive. But a friend, you see, they may tell you the truth, and sometimes it may sting, sometimes it may hurt, but a real friend will hold you accountable. A real friend will speak the truth to you in love. And when you're struggling, when you're going through a hard place, a dark place, they'll speak the Word of God to you. The Word of God that will bring clarity and light to that situation. When you're in a battle, how great it is to have a friend that will speak a word that will build your faith, that will encourage you and strengthen you for the battle. And that leads me to the last one. The right friends are friends that will pray for you. James 5.16 says, pray for one another. That's the most powerful thing we ever do for one another. The most powerful friend you could ever have is a praying friend because that brings the power of God into our life. When you're struggling, you need a friend who can pray. Paul prayed for the churches. One of those examples is Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through 16, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. See, when you're going through a real battle, you need somebody praying that you will be strengthened in the inner man. You need friends that know how to fight in prayer. I remember when I was in high school, I worked with a guy, we were friends. This guy, he loved to fight. And if I was hanging around that guy, I want to tell you, nobody would mess with me. I had a friend that knew how to fight. This is way more important than that. You need friends that know how to fight. Friends that know how to pray. Because you're going to have some battles, you're going to have some struggles... And you weren't designed to just tough it all out and make it all on your own. We all need friends that will pray for us. You need somebody that will pray for you on a regular basis. And we need to be praying for them. Not just because we got a prayer list. See, I want you to understand this. Well, 
I got, got you on my list. Now listen, I'm not knocking the list, but here's what I'm wanting to get at. It needs to be people that you have a relationship with, that you're close to. See, we can just pray a generic prayer for a bunch of people and say, Lord, bless them. But it's different when you know that person and you know what's going on and what their battle is. And then you go to God and you can pray specifically and effectively for that person. We need friends like that that we share our lives with and we pray for one another when we're making a decision, when we're facing temptation, when we're going through a problem. They're there to pray for us because prayer makes the difference. We all need the right kind of friends. And I encourage you this morning to make it a priority in your life to have real friends. And those real friends, they need to be the right kind of friends. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray and we're going to have our prayer partners come now.